Well, hello world. I hope you all are doing very, very well. I am here and I am ready with my brand new podcast where I will tell you the stories, discuss facts and hopefully be able to make you smile with something new or something interesting that you haven't heard before about a nation called India. This country has been home to one of the oldest civilizations that has existed since 2500 BC. There are 22 official languages that are spoken here and it is believed there are 33 million Hindu gods who are worshipped and that apart from five other major religions that are practiced and professed in India. This country is beyond interesting. It's magnanimous. It's magnificent. It's monumental. Quite literally. So you can well imagine, there would be so many new things for us to learn and explore together. Wow, I'm excited. But, 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 let us begin by taking our first baby steps together here. This first segment will be all about Hindu gods. Like I said, it is believed there are 33 million. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to talk about all of them. Did you think I would? Let me know at allaboutindianitscharms at gmail.com. But I would definitely talk about the most loved ones and the ones who are the most interesting to know. And are there really 33 million gods in Hinduism? Let us begin. Ganesha Gana Masses or multitude Isha God So the literal translation would well be God of the masses. He is known by many names Vignaharata, Vinayak, Gananayak, Gajanan, Ekadant, Lambodara, and so, so many more. And all of them have a story, or sometimes many stories associated with them. Like Gananayak, or Ganapati, means the leader of the divine beings. Ekadant means God with one tusk. Vignaharata means the one who helps remove all obstacles. So this very loved God in the Hindu pantheon is worshipped because he is believed to bless new beginnings. He removes obstacles and hindrances and he helps bring in good luck. Is that why I chose him to be the first in my podcast? Could be. There are numerous books on Ganesha, spiritual, literary and studies. And not only in India, eminent researchers and scholars from across the globe have written vastly about Ganesha, including renowned American scholars and researchers like Alice Getty and Robert L. Brown. Okay, now let me start at the very beginning. While doing my research, I found out that Ganesha's references have been found as early as the Rig Veda and also the Yajur Veda. These Hindu scriptures are believed to have been written around 1500 BCE but had been orally imparted since as long as 10,000 years ago. To give you a context, Ganesha's references in verses are believed to have been practiced from around the Bronze Age. It is mentioned in the Rig Veda that if one performs a yagna or a fire ceremony on the Bhadrapada Chaturdashi, which is popularly known as the Ganesh Chaturthi, 
they can expect to be blessed by this mighty Lord. His mention is found in almost all of the Hindu scriptures, Vedas, Upanishads and the Puranas. However, there is one origin story that is the most popular, Ganesha's birth and how he came to have an elephant's head. Ganesha is believed to be the son of Shiva and Parvati. While Shiv or Shiva is believed to be the supreme soul, Parvati is believed to be the supreme energy. Parvati creates Ganesha and Shiva, unaware of his existence, finds him an obstruction when he tries to approach Parvati. He beheads him. And then Parvati makes Shiva aware of the fact that Ganesha was born through her. When he comes to know about this, he resurrects him, but this time with the head of an elephant. There are of course many different versions of the story depending on where it originated. For example, in one version it was Shani or Saturn due to whom Ganesha is beheaded. But let us explore the crux of the narrative. Shiv or the soul tries to approach Parvati, she who is believed to be the physical embodiment of Shakti and represents the material world. Ganesha's initial human form signifies ego, a barrier that obstructs the supreme soul or the supreme knowledge. However, Shiv is oblivious of ego and deconstructs him and makes ego extinct. Then, together, the supreme energy and the supreme soul restore Lord Ganesha, who is now symbolic of a state of divinity, with all the cosmic knowledge and the energy and without the ego. And therefore, is considered a manifested form of the divine. Ganesha's chronicles make him relatable. He has a birthday, the Ganesha Turti. He has parents, Shiv and Parvati. He has siblings, Lord Kartikeya, the god of war. And according to some scriptures, even married to Riddhi and Siddhi and her sons. In fact, depending on where you're from in India, Ganesha is also believed to have sisters, Lakshmi and Saraswati, the goddess of wealth, and the goddess of knowledge. Now, is Ganesha only known to the Hindus and loved and adored only in India? The answer is no. Right. Thai Buddhists worship Ganesha to seek blessings before the start of a business or an occasion. In fact, their Ministry of Fine Arts uses Ganesha in their logo. How interesting is that? Japan has about 250 temples of Ganesha, where he is known and prayed as the Kangitan, the god of good fortune, happiness, and also the one who blesses lovelorn youngsters with love. The statue of Ganesha found in North China is believed to be as old as 531 AD. The Mons dynasty of Burma and Thailand worshipped Ganesha as one of their principal deities. Ganesha's reference is also found in places that have or have had a Hindu influence, like in the Angkor Wat, in Cambodia, or Borobudur, in Indonesia. In fact, because of Hinduism's heavy influence on Indonesia, the country prints Ganesha on its 20,000 rupiah note. So how did Ganesha make his way to such far-flung nations? Well, Hinduism found a way to blend itself into Buddhism and Jainism. 
As a matter of fact, Ganesha was introduced to Tibetan Buddhism by Atisha Dipankara, a very well-known Buddhist religious leader in around the 11th century AD. Yes, way back. In the present day, Ganesh Chaturthi is one of the very well-known festivals of the Indian subcontinent, especially celebrated with a lot of pomp and show in the western state of Maharashtra. There, it is a 10-day-long magnanimous event starting with sthapana or installation and ending with visarjan or conclusion. For those of you who didn't know already, what used to be a home-based ritual was built into this massive magnum opus first by Chhatrapati Shivaji, the great warrior king of India, and then revived and popularized during the Indian freedom movement by Bal Gangadhar Tilak. He found a festival like this a great way to preach the importance of this movement and the idea of nationalism and freedom to the attendees. At a time when the common men were banned from meeting at social and political gatherings. But this was a religious cause. And bingo. Oh, you know what I just realized? I think I should talk more about both these very distinguished personalities I just spoke about in one of our upcoming segments. So do stay with me for those. For now, thank you all so much for listening. And I hope I gave you enough to make an elevator pitch here or to speak about Ganesha to your children, friends, and family and start or hold a conversation about one of the many gods of India. In the next episode, I will talk about Durga, the mother goddess, the one in the pantheon who is revered as the source of all cosmic energy. In the age where feminism is more than just a concept, I believe it is important for us to know and speak about Durga, a female who has been considered a superpower since 400 CE. Tune in to know more in my next episode. I hope you had fun listening as much as I had fun researching and making this podcast. I will speak to you all again in my next episode. Bye and Namaste.